Did you know the largest bird in North America is the California condor? Their wingspan reaches almost 10 feet wide, and so they are a majestic bird to see in flight. The problem is not many people get a chance to see them in flight. There's not a whole lot of them around. In fact, they were on the doorstep of becoming completely extinct. Back in 1987, our government actually went in and captured all the condors that were still in the wild because there was only 27 of them left. And so the government, they took these 27 condors and they brought them into captivity so that in captivity they could regrow the population. Well, after several years, they slowly began reintroducing these birds to the wild. And as time went along, you even had some condors born free, born in the wild. But as the government would learn, it's one thing to be born free, but it's another thing to live free. And as the condors tried to live free in the wild, free from this domesticated captivity, well, they ran into a lot of issues. They ran into power lines. They began eating dead animals and contracting lead poisoning. And so the condors were struggling to survive in the wild. They continue to struggle surviving in the wild. In fact, all these years later, there's still only roughly 500 condors in existence, both in the wild and in captivity. Because it's one thing to be born free, it's another thing to live free. We'll see that this morning as we continue our series, Disciples Making Disciples. It's one thing to follow Jesus, to be born free, but it's another to live for Jesus, to live free. And this is the issue that Peter's going to tackle because oftentimes in the church, we're born free. But we exchange that freedom for a domesticated captivity where we serve in the church building and we call that ministry. When God has called us to live in the wild, to live in the free, to go impact people wherever it is we live, work, study, and play and make disciples. Peter's going to write about that. I want you to see how he says it. First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 17. It reads, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Now, Peter is writing these instructions to a church that's been persecuted. He's writing to the churches in and around Asia Minor, where Rome is in charge. And Rome at this time is really persecuting the church in a, in a drastic kind of way. And so a casual reader of this might think that Peter seems to be talking out of both sides of his mouth. On one hand, you honor the emperor, who at that time was Nero. And Nero was an evil emperor. He, you might remember, Rome was burned down, and he falsely blamed the burning down of Rome on the Christians. And so after that, he had the Christians rounded up, locked up, beheaded, crucified. It was a very dangerous time. And all of this had taken place before Peter's writing this letter. I mean, this is, the, this is kind of the aftermath of that. And so on the one hand, he's saying, honor the emperor. And on the other hand, he's saying, live as free. And so how do you do that? How do you live as free when you're honoring an evil emperor like that? I mean, on the one hand, God has empowered leaders with a certain amount of authority over society. And we have people in power. And so we recognize that power. We submit, we respect, we honor that leadership as they have authority in certain situations of life. And we obey them and we submit to them. But on the other hand... It's only as a free person that we never give up the right to make our own choices, to make our own decisions. We give our leaders honor. We submit to them. We give them, uh, we recognize the authority they have in certain situations. And we recognize that by doing that, we ultimately honor God. So we see this, but at the same time, a follower of Jesus Christ never gives up their right and responsibility to make their own decisions. Why? Because we are free. We've been set free. We're not slaves to Caesar. We're slaves to God. And so we honor and respect him ultimately. And so that means no matter what anybody else does, no matter what anybody else says, we still have the obligation to obey Jesus in every circumstance. You know, I'll never get to go to Jesus and just say, hey, Jesus, you just don't understand. I mean, if you only knew how they treated me or what they said about me, then you would know why I reacted the way I reacted. And see, that is tough, isn't it? Because we want to react. We want to be able to say, yes, Jesus, I understand the instructions that you're giving, but you need to understand what they did to me. You need to understand how I was raised. You need to understand these predispositions that I have in my life. You need to understand my personality. This is just me. This is just who I am. You can't do that. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. If you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus. And so all of your decisions fall under the authority of Christ. And he never relinquishes that authority for you to be able to choose what you want to do based on what seems best to you. You don't get to pass the buck and say, well, they made me do it. The devil made me do it all. No, you have a right. You have a responsibility to make your decisions. No one else has that authority in your life. You don't give them that authority. Why? It's Jesus has that authority. And so you are who he says you are. 
So that's important for us to understand. You are who Jesus says you are. And that's really how Peter begins this section is defining, telling us who we are and why we are who we are. And he says our freedom begins when Jesus establishes his, himself as the cornerstone for his people, the foundation for his people. Now, I don't know a whole lot about building stuff, building houses, things like that, but I do understand that if you're going to build a house, just getting that foundation ready, it's an awful lot of work and takes a really long time. Why? Because you come to some place and you know you want this house to go up there. But first thing you do, you got to clear, clear the land, right? You got to get all the brush, trees, whatever. You got to get all that out of the way. Now you get all that out of the way. Now what do you do? Well, you survey the land again. You start moving dirt around. I'm always, you know, you're always moving the dirt around. You got piles of dirt over here and doing this. And then what do you do? Well, you dig a hole and you get this hole dug and then you get to see the guys out and they're measuring the hole and they're getting the dimensions and all that. And then what happens? Well, you come, you pour the cement, you got to level the cement, you got to wait for the cement to dry. And all of this takes a really, really long time just getting everything ready. And I'm sure I probably missed a couple steps. But why, why do you go through all that hassle? Because if the foundation of the house is wrong, the house will never be right. And if the foundation of your life is wrong, your life will never be right. And so Peter says, God has established himself as the cornerstone, the foundation of your life, the stone that will never be moved. And he submitted us into it in relationship to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We are submitted into him through his grace and his mercy. We are fixed to God through Jesus. And so Peter says, you are chosen. You're, you're a chosen people. The, the, the builder has come and he's looked at the pile of stones and he's taken you, this stone, he submitted you to himself. You're a chosen people. You didn't just happen into this thing. You know, oh, well, no one saw that coming. This is some great surprise in the course of life. No, you're a chosen people. And so now that you're a chosen people, Peter says, you are a royal priesthood, not just a priest, that's amazing in and of itself, as we understand from Scripture, that a priest is one who represents God to the people and at the same time represents people to God. It's a very interesting, very important role throughout the Scriptures. And you're a priest, but you are a royal priesthood. And being a royal priesthood, what that means is you have access to the throne at every moment of every day. See, you always have complete and total access to God because you are a royal priesthood. That's who you are. No, nobody else gets to define you. Nobody else gets to tell you who you are or how you ought to live or what you ought to do. No, no, Jesus has already done that. He's defined you. He's the one who sets the course for your life. He's the one who tells you who you are, what you do. He's done that. Why? Because you're his possession. That's what Peter says. You're his possession. He owns you. He bought you. He, play, he paid his blood for you. And because he owns you, because he bought you, because he, pays, he, he, because he paid his blood for you, well, he gets to tell you who you are. You're his. And he tells us. And as he's telling us all of who we are, he tells us that we're free. Free. 
free to make decisions. Yes, submit, but you do so as a free person, not under obligation, but willingly. Free. Now, we struggle with that. I know we think that's what we want. We want this freedom, the freedom to make our own decisions, freedom to do all this. But this is where we struggle. Why? Because we are born free in Christ and we are submitted to him as the foundation, the cornerstone of our lives. But at that moment, what we really want is captivity. We just want to be in some safe place and know that it's okay. But you say, I haven't saved you for captivity. I've saved you for the wild. I've saved you to be free. That's why when most people enter a relationship with Jesus, they get really excited about being born free. And they should be. But we still struggle with how to live free. And that's what Peter's going to talk about next. Did you catch what Peter said? Be free from the passions of the flesh, which will destroy your soul. Now, there's a difference between acting and wanting. Okay, you have these passions of the flesh, the temptation to do it, okay, to do this evil thing. And you have those temptations. You recognize that, hey, I have this desire. It's not good, but I'm not a slave to that desire anymore. I'm free from that. Now, in that freedom, as you recognize that, what happens? You grow to a place where you don't even desire the evil thing anymore. You know, that's not the temptation anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with that, with that anymore. I've heard it said that uh, if you just really start eating healthy, cut out all the junk food, all the sweets, you don't eat any of that stuff anymore, that your taste buds actually change. Now, I've never really experienced that for myself, but that's what I've heard, that what you care about, what you want, it actually changes. Christ will set you free, free from even the passions and the desires of the flesh. You no longer want that. You now desire the things of Christ. See, this is what learning to live free is all about. And freedom is scary because freedom sets us free to live the life of Christ that, that's the whole goal here, is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus and display the life of Christ wherever it is that we live, work, study, and play. That's the freedom that Christ has secured for us. But it's a scary freedom. And so we prefer captivity. You know, we might talk about faith with other churchgoers and that kind of thing because it's safe there. We're in the church building. I mean, maybe we get to a point where we even volunteer in the church building and we encourage other people to come to the church building and encourage other people in the church building. But see, all that's safe. It's, it's comfortable. The threats are very limited. The risks are few. Uh, someone can tell us what to do, how to do it, when to show up, all these different things. But you know, in the wild, when you've been set free, wherever it is you live, work, study, and play, it's not like that, is it? It's not safe. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. The threats are many. The risks can be great. There's nobody telling us exactly what to do and how to do it and when to do it. There's no timetable on it. It's wild, you see. There's a big difference between being born free and 
living free. And this is the issue that Paul is actually dealing with with the Galatians also. He would write to the Galatians and he would say, you've been set free. Jesus freed you from the change of legalism for freedom's sake. And so what is Paul saying? Why are you putting the chains back on? Why are you going back to legalism? See, we can be a lot like the Galatians. We can be a lot like the people that Peter is writing to here. We can be born free, but we can still run back to the chains. Why? Because it's nice to have a to-do list. It's nice just to be able to check boxes. It's nice for someone just to say, here's, here's what you need to do. It's nice to be safe. Captivity is safe. And we like that. We like domesticated captivity. So, what does all this have to do with discipleship? How, how does this fit in our series, Disciples Making Disciples? Because did you catch the purpose of our freedom? Did, did you hear what Peter was saying? Peter says, Jesus calls us as a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession, and he sets us free. As the foundation of our lives, as we are fixed to him, he sets us free so that in our freedom we would proclaim the excellencies of him who set us free from darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we get to do in our freedom. We, can, we proclaim the excellencies of him who freed us. That's, that's the reason for our freedom, to make disciples, to proclaim the one who freed us. And so where does that freedom get expressed? Well, it's in the wild. I mean, that's what Peter is saying, that as you're living among the Gentiles, when you're with these pagan godless people, that it's there that your freedom is expressed. It's there that you're proclaiming his excellencies. It's there that you're living this life. And where's that for us? Well, it's just in culture. It's wherever it is we live, work, study, and play. As we say it all the time, it's the people we're around. I mean, these are our spheres of influence. And are there threats there? Were there threats to the people Peter was talking about? Oh, you betcha. Peter even says, hey, they're going to lie about you. They're going to say all kinds of evil about you. They're going to call you all kinds of names. They're going to label you. They're going to portray you in unflattering terms. But you don't get to react to that. You don't get to just respond in kind or, hey, they're nasty to you, so I'm just going to be nasty right back. No, why? Because they don't define you. Jesus defines you. And so because he defines you, even when the threats come, even when the attacks come, what does Peter say? He says, you keep your conduct pure and honorable. You don't go on their level. You don't react. You keep your conduct pure and honorable. Why? Well, it's not just, you know, being nice for the sake of being nice. No, it's when God shows up on the day of visitation. That is, when God kind of makes himself known in their life, whether it's through grace in some kind of circumstance or it's through judgment because of their sin or something like that. But when they recognize God at work in their life, then they will remember you and the conduct you displayed and the words that you proclaimed as you proclaimed his excellencies and they will remember and honor your God at that time. So... This is why. It's not just being nice for nice sake. It's being nice. It's, it's responding in love and it, with a pure and honorable conduct so that they will recognize your God. Now, 
Well, Peter's writing is extremely difficult. I mean, this is not easy to live out. I mean, and especially in the conduct, in the context in which he's writing, he's writing to these churches in Asia Minor, and they are at the bottom of the social ladder. I mean, this is pre-Christian culture, okay? The, the, the culture at large wants nothing to do with Christianity. They want it extinct. I mean, in Rome, the persecution of Christians is at a fevered pitch, and it's going to expand. Once Domitian becomes the emperor, the, uh, the persecution won't simply be in Rome. It will then extend empire-wide. But even at this time, being a Christian, if you were a Christian in the first century, it was a very, very difficult time to live. And Peter message, you focus on living godly lives no matter what. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, in the midst of the secular chaos, you live godly lives. He's telling us that your lifestyle is going to look radically different than the lifestyle and the worldview of the culture around you. There ought to be a noticeable difference. So Peter presents the argument in this way because he knows there are two possibilities that we tend to gravitate towards. On the one hand, the, the Christians at that time, they're going to see Nero. They're going to see what's going on in Rome. They're going to understand the persecution, seeing Christians rounded up, beheaded, locked up, crucified. They're going to see all this happening. And the one natural response is going to be to react. It's going to be to say, okay, let's form some kind of political revolt here, some kind of revolution if we can overthrow the government in some way, but it's going to be to react. Now, the other possibility is just to pull back, to retreat from society as a whole, from culture as a whole, and to form some nice, safe commune where everything is good. Peter's point is, hey, both of those fail to accomplish the purpose that God has for you. Why? Because he set you free. Not free to live however it is that you want to live or whatever seems best to you. No, free to live the life of Christ because in living that kind of life, well, there's joy, there's hope, there's optimism. I mean, that's what life is about. So you don't just get to respond, react. What does that do? Well, that just enslaves you again to the sinful passions of the flesh that you're supposed to be freed from. And on the other hand, you don't get to just kind of hide out in a commune in some kind of domesticated captivity where it's safe. Why? Because you were made to impact people. You're made to proclaim the excellencies of him who freed you. And so you go out and you share the good news. And yeah, there's a cost. Yeah, there's risks. Yes, there's threats. But you're made for the wild. You are born free so that you might live free. But Peter understands the two tendencies that we have, one towards reaction and one towards safety. And he says, no, you, you, you have to walk in the spirit and live free. Peter wants the church to live free in, in spirit and in truth as, as exiles in a culture, as sojourners in this culture. Hey, you're just passing through. Your ambassador is here. Your home is there. But as you are passing through, then you actually be in the midst of people. You represent him. And so he's framing the argument in such a way where he's calling the church to examine the entirety of their lives and to say, okay, here's, here's how I'm going to live free here. Here's how I'm going to live honorable and pure here. Here's how I'm going to speak and proclaim his excellencies here. And so what he's ultimately saying is, 
you must give up self-cultivation for self-surrender. You got to set aside entertainment for worship. You got to give up intuition for truth, to give up slick marketing campaigns for authentic witness, to give up success for faithfulness, power for humility, a God who bought us on cheap terms for a God who calls us to holy obedience. This life is being willing to do what God wants us to do on God's terms because he defines us. And that's freedom. That's what freedom is all about. And that's what Peter wants the church to walk in. But he knows the difficulty of it all. In short, all of this is a call to holiness. It's a call to holiness. Now, when we think of holiness, we want to kind of frame some activities as holy. And okay, if you're doing this, it's holiness. And so we think, okay, if you're reading your Bible, having a daily devotion, if you're praying, um, if you're going to the church building and attending a church service, uh, you know, if you're volunteering somewhere in the church building, like all these are aspects of holiness. You're giving money, you're tithing, this, this encompasses holiness. But as Peter's framing holiness for us here, it extends way beyond that. I mean, yes, those are helpful disciplines that lead us toward a holy lifestyle. But as Peter's showing that holiness is this deep drive, this this unquenchable thirst for God to be fully expressed in every area of our life. And so when a watching world looks and sees, wow, there is a qualitative difference with the way you relate to your government. There's a qualitative difference in how you receive the news of the day. There's a qualitative difference in how you interact with your spouse and interact with your kids and and the way that you manage your body and your finances and all these different things that this relationship with Jesus It doesn't just touch on the spiritual side of life as we tend to think of it, but that all of life is spiritual. And so it touches every aspect, every detail of life. See, this is the call to holiness that Peter is giving the church so that the people would see and they would know there is something different. I mean, we hear what they're proclaiming. We hear, and what are they proclaiming? The excellencies. They're not proclaiming the sin of the culture. You're proclaiming the excellencies of him who freed you. So Peter writes, when you are under the authority of Nero, or you're under the authority of the governor, that you submit to Nero, you submit to that governor, but you do so as a free person. Not because you're forced to, not because of compulsion, but you have a choice in the matter and you do so as free. Now, there have been times in the Bible, there have been times in church history where the church did not submit to the authority or a person did not submit to a governing authority, that there was civil disobedience that was practiced there. And we can go back and we can look at Daniel. You can even look at Peter himself, who the governing authorities told him, hey, stop telling people about Jesus. And Peter civilly disobeyed. He continued to preach the gospel. He continued to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And so, yeah, we see that. And we've seen that through the life of the church. However, Peter's letting us know the general disposition of the church, of the Christian, is to honor and respect the governing authorities, even somebody like Nero. So, you're never in a situation where you don't have a choice. You always have a choice, whether you're going to submit or not, whether you're going to obey or not. 
You have the choice. Doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences for, for those choices, but in Christ, you are free. You are his servants. You are bound to him, not to Caesar, not to the government. So you submit as free, as willing. And that is the issue, right? We, we, we always have the choice. We have the choice to follow Christ. And so we choose, hey, we're following Christ. But then you have the choice to keep on following Christ. You know how it was for the disciples, right? They made the choice. He said, follow me. And what do they do? They leave their nets. They leave their families. They leave their businesses. They leave it all behind and they follow Jesus. But they had to choose to continue to follow Jesus. You remember that scene in John's gospel, chapter six, where the crowds have gathered around Jesus and you got massive crowds there. And then Jesus, he gives an extremely hard teaching. It's very difficult for the people. And so the crowds, they begin saying to one another, there's a murmur in the crowd. Oh, this teaching is hard. I mean, who can accept this? Who wants to go along with that? I don't think so. And so the crowds disperse. They all leave. They all go away. And as they all leave and go away, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them the question, are you going to leave me too? See, that implies the fact they have the choice. They can choose to join the crowd and just walk away. And maybe even some of them were tempted. Maybe some of them were thinking, you know, that is a hard teaching. Maybe we should just go with the crowd. But Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so they continued on to follow him. And they would face other blocks in the road where they would have to make the decision. Are we going to keep on following or are we going to go back? See, you're born free, yes, but we have to learn how to live free. Yeah, we chose to enter into this relationship with Jesus, but do we continue to choose to follow him? See, you choose to follow Christ, you choose to be in that relationship, and we want it to be like a one-time deal where, okay, I chose, so now I did. I mean, I just follow him in everything I do, but it doesn't work like that, does it? Life doesn't work like that. I mean, you take any sphere of life. You take marriage, for example. You know, on my wedding day, I could tell my wife, Steph, oh, I love you. Uh, and I treat her really well that day. You know, I'm really nice. I demonstrate my love towards her. But say that's the only day I ever do it. And I never tell her I love her again. I never demonstrate any love toward her again. I mean, what kind of marriage is that? What kind of love is that? You have to continue to love. You have to continue to demonstrate that love. Forgiveness, same thing, right? Somebody wrongs you, somebody hurts you, and you go to them and you forgive them. And then, because of the choice they made, because of the wrong that they committed, now all of a sudden you're, you're facing some other circumstance and it's a negative impact that it's having on you. And all of a sudden, all that hurt is being brought up again. And so again, you have to choose. And you're thinking, well, didn't I already forgive this person? But yeah, yeah, you did at that time. But now there's this other level to it. And so do you forgive again? Or are you going to harbor the hurt, the pain, the bitterness Again, you have to choose to forgive again. You must choose to keep following. It's not this one-time event, just, okay, I follow Jesus. Yeah, you're born free. But now you got to choose to live free. See, we face the same threats today. And we wish the decision to follow Christ was just like that one-time fits-all deal. But it's not. You make the decision to follow Christ. You're born free. But you have to make the decision to live for Christ. To live free. 
See, God did not save you to put you back in chains of, of bitterness, of reaction, of just treating people the way you're treated, of letting other people define you and tell you what to do and this kind of thing. No, he set you free so that you could proclaim the excellencies. You have good news to tell. In a world full of bad news, you are proclaimers of good news. He set you free, not to domesticated captivity where you're kept in some kind of isolated, safe bubble, but that you're free in the wild to go out and to live amongst godless people as sojourners, as exiles, as people who are different in this world to proclaim the good news of Jesus, the excellencies of him who frees people. So, you have a choice to make. You're born free. Are you going to live free? Heavenly Father, we thank you that for freedom's sake, you have set us free. God, that you define us, that we're not defined by what other people say about us, by past experiences or anything like that. But God, we're defined by what you say about us. God, and in that freedom, in that definition of who we are, God, you free us for life. Life in the wild, it's untamed, it's not scripted. So God, may we live faithful, faithfully in that context, honorably and pure, so that when people recognize you, how they'll think of us and the testimony that we had, the words that we proclaimed, the life that we led, and then we'll give praise to you and come into that relationship with you themselves. God, we need your help to live like that in this world. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.